everyone, welcome to God's Plan, Your Part, Year 2, where this year we're reading through and studying the entire New Testament, one chapter at a time. Thanks again for joining us in discovering God's plan and your part in it. Today we are in Mark chapter 3, and what's interesting about today is you will hear a couple of stories that you may have heard recently if you've been tracking with us this year so far. Um, As you know, the Gospels can mirror each other in certain ways, but there are a couple of things that stuck out to us today, um, if not the same as before, maybe a little bit different um, from the book of Matthew. But today we're talking about some of the things that Jesus was doing, some of the miracles he was performing, and some of the... um, negative feedback he was getting from the Pharisees, as well as Jesus kind of forming his group of disciples. So we've seen this before in Matthew. We're seeing it again today. And then finally, um, how Jesus' family is reacting towards this. So something that stuck out to me, I'm going to just start this off a little because what stuck out to me was evident in the first section of chapter three. So this is about Jesus performing one of those miracles. And that was he had healed someone, this man who had a withered hand, he healed him on the Sabbath. And what gets me is the Pharisees are extremely adamant about basically putting Jesus in this really awkward spot of saying, hey, you were working on the Sabbath. And our um, study Bible mentions the words that Jesus says I believe in verse four, uh, Jesus said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And obviously they know the answer to this. The answer is to do good. Um, And the Sabbath would basically not violate Jesus for helping someone um, or doing good to someone on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees know this. The the basic thing that's really getting to them is that it's going against what their tradition says. So what's funny about this is Jesus is hitting the nail right on the head in that the Sabbath is to do good, okay, or to it's okay to do good things on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are totally missing the mark because they're so strung out on their traditions, not the actual Um, meanings or parameters within Sabbath. Yeah, Sabbath was actually meant to cause us to rest, to be spiritually refreshed. So you've heard me say before, this is not something where we're being encouraged to lay around and do nothing all day, although that is allowed. Um, It's actually intended to... um, like build our faith in God and strengthen our faith in God. Because originally uh, you weren't going to work on the Sabbath. And that was like, okay, if I'm not going to work every seventh day, I'm going to have to trust God to provide. And the Israelites just like peeling out this theme of Sabbath, they were supposed to every seventh year, not work. And then every seventh, seventh year, basically every 49th, 50th year, not work for two years. So there's this constant rhythm of trusting God to provide and knowing that he will care for you that is promoted in observing Sabbath. And I think to kind of reiterate this point and pull it out a little bit more, not only is the Sabbath meant for those things, but it's also like what the Pharisees were missing is that their tradition of just what you should do according to the Pharisees misses the point of the Mosaic law, which Jesus is hinting at, which is to love God and love one's neighbor. There's nothing wrong about doing good to someone on the Sabbath. And that's what Jesus is doing. So it's really funny how it's like mere man is trying to persuade God on what Sabbath means. I think that's really ironic. And again, I've beat this horse to death. I think it doesn't 
he he's not saying don't observe Sabbath. Right. He's not he's not saying he's this not is deleted. What Sabbath exactly. requires? He's obviously, honoring God um, involves caring for people. Like healing somebody's withered hand on the Sabbath obviously mm-hmm. does not violate the Sabbath because in another gospel he's going to make the case that if you own a donkey and it falls into a pit. You're going to pull it out of the pit. You're not going to just let your donkey die in a pit because it's the Sabbath. So he was kind of convicting the Pharisees saying, well, if it was going to cause you to lose money, you would care. But because this person doesn't affect your pocketbook, you don't care. Well, I think there's something to be said then, too, if you think about the parable of um, the Good Samaritan as well, Mm -hmm. because that would have similar themes. I'm wondering just how often this was something that Jesus had to combat because even that parable talks about, hey, there's someone literally dying alongside the road. And like, are you just going to pass by them? Because it's just, it's not, it's unclean. It's not good for you. It's not whatever. But again, coming back to what the law actually required was to love God and love one's neighbor. So like, it's just so interesting that that is just this common theme that we're seeing. And it's important to call out, that's not some new law that Jesus mm-hmm, created. Mm-hmm. J- Jesus is not like putting a different spin on this. He's reminding people who have twisted it into something it's not meant to be yeah. what the original intent is. Because that that is something that people will teach in an attempt to split the New Testament off the Old Testament. And what they'll try to do is say, Jesus is like this incredible, loving, forgiving, merciful God. And God from the Old Testament is just nasty and mean. That's just not true. Jesus is reminding people to be observing the law that God intended for them to observe the law, to care for people, to show grace to people, to forgive people, and ultimately find rest and trust in God's provision. And again, like I am not encouraging you to have this ritualistic um, understanding of Sabbath that is like Sabbath is your salvation. The writer of Hebrews is going to make the case um, that ultimate Sabbath rest is not possible outside of Jesus, that Jesus is ultimate Sabbath rest. And we find that Sabbath rest when we rest with Christ. So Jesus is rest and you cannot find rest outside of Jesus. Um, but this is, I think, an important habit to have in your life. And I think our culture, I've said this before, our culture suffers because we do not recognize this as important, and everybody is burnt out and mm-hmm. running around like crazy, not spending time with their families, not raising their kids. Like, there's just so many things that come out of not highlighting how important rest is to our lives, and it's a good thing that God has given to us, and we should observe it. Um, so, and and it might feel like, I guess, just to highlight this, it might feel like if you're tracking with us every day, we've been talking about this Sabbath bit a lot, <laughs> but it's actually because Mark is choosing to highlight it. A lot. Mm-hmm. Let's keep moving because we got really stuck on that. What else stuck out to you in this chapter, Ryan? Well, I think just to highlight, I mean, Jesus does officially call his 12 apostles. It is important to recognize that they they go by different names. So that's why some of these accounts of the 12 disciples are different because they're known by a couple different names, different people. Um, it, it's super intriguing that Judas is called by Jesus and Jesus knows that he is the betrayer all the way back at the beginning. I don't have a lot to mine out of those 12 disciples. I think what's really interesting is the next thing. I think what's really interesting is the next section. I'm talking verse 27 through verse 30 uh, about the unpardonable sin. Actually, if you look at verse... And we've talked about this before. This verse sticks out to us many times. Correct. If you look at verse 29, uh, Jesus says, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of eternal sin. And actually, Mark goes a little bit further to explain it a little bit. And verse 30 says, For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. So 
this passage has been taught incorrectly. Um, mm-hmm. We have taught about this several times because it comes up several times in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, it just freaks people out. It freaks people out that there is a thing that you can do that will cause you to never be forgiven. And I think rightfully so. People are concerned that they may have committed that sin. Like, wait a minute. I could do something that would cause Jesus not to forgive me? Like, what if I did that by accident? So the the first thing to recognize is you're not going to do that by accident. You're not going to accidentally... Um, commit the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. Uh, But what is that sin? And if you look at the context of verse 27, like actually what's happening in this story, Jesus is healing people and the religious leaders are saying, well, you're only able to heal people because of the devil. It's like, um, that's kind of strange. Like it's kind of strange that Jesus is bringing people to wholeness, to fullness, to physical restoration. And they're saying like, well, this only happens because of demons. Or the power of Satan. Our Bible calls that out as if a person persistently gives credit to Satan for what is actually done by the power of God, that person is convinced that the Holy Spirit's testimony about Jesus is satanic, and that person would ultimately not have forgiveness. Okay, so this is an interesting real-world thing we haven't talked about a lot in this context. I guess, first of all, what is what is happening here is basically like if you are saying that Jesus is not the son of God, if you are saying he is the son of Satan, if you are outright right. rejecting the deity of Christ, that is an unforgivable sin. Well, so- and think about, think too, think about the context of where this is being read. These are people who are saying that Jesus is not who he says he is because they don't see him as like this glorious war hero leader king that's going to come and wipe out their enemies so there's context to that too because the pharisees are never going to give him credit for who he is and they oftentimes say this guy he basically drives out demons by the power of satan by the power of beelzebub or whatever they refer to so giving him the credit through satan is disastrous. So just to be clear, the unforgivable sin is when you reject Jesus. When you say that he is not the son of God, he is something else. You have rejected Jesus and you will not be forgiven for that. That's not some kind of crazy earth shattering realization. Like that's pretty basic Christianity. So my question here that I'd like to talk about a little bit is how do we handle, um, and I don't have the answer on this, but there are definitely times where people appear to be doing miracles and people will say that's demons like this. This still happens today. And Mm -hmm. I think the challenge here is that there's no question that people do false miracles. Like there's no question that people are like doing an act to get attention. But I think there also are very real miracles. So how do we handle people who are accusing people of performing miracles by Satan? Is that, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? What do you think about that? Well, are you referring to the end of this here, like verse 30, yeah, for, for they say he was an unclean yes. spirit? Honestly, I just keep coming back to like saying that Jesus has power through someone other than God. I think that's what it's actually saying. So like, I don't know that it necessarily translates to us so much as like discrediting well, Jesus for his power and where it comes from. So I spend more time on Christian Twitter than I probably should. And oh I, my I, I enjoy it a lot. <laughs> I, like, I really like the conversations that happen there. Like, I'm really interested in different perspectives. But it is a thing for uh, people that are more in reformed circles to okay. accuse people who are more from charismatic circles that they're actually just doing demon stuff. Okay. It seems like that's not a great idea. Like, I, I mean, we can have 
discernment, but I think we should also recognize that like probably our Christ- our charismatic Christian brothers and sisters are not doing things by demons. It, it just seems like I'd love somebody, if you're listening on YouTube, put in the comments, I'd love you to speak into this because this is something I'm wrestling with for sure. So again, when you think about healing power, when you think about people that heal in the name of Jesus, oftentimes what... And what actually, now that I'm thinking about it, we refer to, like, that's the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Mm -hmm. So, again, the Holy Spirit is, like, this triune piece, which is God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. So, Jesus, when he heals people, I would assume this would be, like, the power of the Holy Spirit working in him, which is essentially part of the deity. So, like, by saying that... He is he is driving out demons with demons is saying that the Holy Spirit is not God like that is Satan or so just like not at work equating at all. Yeah. that part of God to Satan is that I think that is what it's really getting and at. I, I think that is a really tricky situation for people who are in cessationist circles. Because there is no question, I don't think, that God is still moving and working today. And while I understand we need to have discernment, for sure we need to have discernment because people fake this stuff to make money and get reputation. It doesn't mean that it's all fake. And I think we should be careful um, to accuse people of doing things by demons unless we know for sure that they are false teachers, false prophets. Um, I don't know. I'd love to, to see some of your thoughts. Leave it in the comments. Tell me what you think. Well, and I even think too, I keep going back to this because I get cautious when I think about other people because we are not God. We like, yes, the the power of the Holy Spirit works within us, but this is explicitly talking about Jesus, who is God in man form, who the Holy Spirit is working through him, like undoubtedly, like there's no other option. Mm -hmm. Jesus is not doing this for himself. Mm -hmm. He's not doing this for selfish gain. He's not doing this so that he can gain fame. Obviously, he is working these miracles because the Holy Spirit is working through him. So there is no doubt that that is the case. So if anybody does say that Jesus is working for the the gain of Satan, they have completely and utterly rejected the deity of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what is most important. It mm-hmm. is really, I think you have, like you mentioned, you have to be really cautious when it comes to, you know, this person was healed by the Holy Spirit through so-and-so. Um, I think that's like a totally different case. But I think what this is specifically calling out is that Jesus is like healing people through Satan. So just to wrap this up in a pointed way, like the, the unforgivable sin is to reject that Jesus is the son of God, period. That's it. Right. Um, that's why we don't want to do that. We want to encourage you to recognize that Jesus is the son of God, that the works that he did were by the power of God and to reject that puts you in a dangerous place. Uh, it's not some new crazy thing. Just to, just to wrap up Mark chapter three, uh, cause we've had some lengthy conversations on these two topics. Um, verse 31 through verse 35, Jesus recognizes that his family is the people who believe. So any son and daughter of God is his brother and sister and mother is what he says. So Jesus is kind of like on the surface rejecting his physical family, but embracing all of those who come to recognize him as the son of God and we become brothers and sisters in Christ. It is important to realize that we are all brothers and sisters and we should all treat each other as though we are family. So that means being gracious. That means being accountable. That means being dependable. That means calling people to honor God with our lives. And we have that that commitment that holds us to the entire Christian community. 
So a good year part for today would definitely be to consider for yourself, how are you reflecting on Sabbath? Um, How are you doing good on Sabbath? Whether that be um, even just for someone else, remembering to love your neighbor, but also love God in the same way um, to take that time to spend in his presence and to just relax and just I don't know, have relationship with God uh, before you start this new week. So um, think about those things. Uh, Like we always say, listen to the reading yourself so that if there's anything else that sticks out in this chapter um, that we didn't totally get to or mention, take some time to listen to that as well. So we'll be back again with Mark chapter four tomorrow. We'll see you then. Thanks for joining today's episode of God's Plan, Your Part. As always, please consider partnering with us as we are a listener-supported podcast that we hope to continue to grow with support from listeners just like you. We've made it super easy to partner with us, and you can support us by following the link in our show notes or our description. You can support us with as little as $3 a month. Every little bit of this helps so much, and we're so thankful for your support. With that in mind, here's today's reading. Mark chapter 3. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus withdrew his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonadres, that is, son of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul. And the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemes they utter. 
But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of God's Plan, Your Part. Don't forget, you can find us on just about every social media platform and YouTube. Let us know what you thought of today's episode, and if you have any questions, go ahead and post them there. You can also reach out to us directly at godsplanyourpart at gmail.com. As always, if you don't have a Bible, or if you'd like to use the one that we use, uh, reach out to us via email, and we'll be happy to send one to you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow.